Hi everyone and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. I started this podcast for a very simple reason. You can find podcasts on pretty much any topic, but I wasn't aware of any that were focused on public service leaders. So rather than wait for somebody else to do it, I decided to give it a try. I wanted to give public service leaders a platform to tell their stories, to talk about the reforms and innovations they put in place, and to share lessons in leadership. I think this will be particularly interesting for current and future public service leaders, but a lot of the lessons are more broadly applicable. So I hope you enjoy it, and please remember to register on the website to never miss a future episode. On this episode, I speak to Joanne Rooney. Joanne is the Chief Executive of Manchester City Council and is also the incoming President of SOLAS, which is the membership network for UK public sector and local government professionals. In our discussion, we talk about the COVID response and how a city organises itself across public services to respond to such a thing. We talk about how Manchester really pulled together in terms of communities and businesses all playing their part. A key contextual point is that the City of Manchester is part of Greater Manchester, which is a grouping of 10 councils that collaborate very closely on quite a lot of issues. And as most people know, the Greater Manchester area has an elected mayor, which is Andy Burnham at the minute. And we have an interesting discussion about how that relationship between the individual councils and the Greater Manchester area works. Joanne had only just taken up the post of Chief Executive in Manchester when the arena bombing occurred, and we talk about the impact of that both emotionally and operationally. And finally, we talk about how Manchester City Council made it into the Sunday Times Top 100 Organisations to Work For list, which is an incredibly impressive achievement. So let's hear from Joanne. Joanne, it's a real pleasure to meet you and I really appreciate you taking the time for this conversation. Um, I expect most of the people listening will know who you are, but for those who don't, would you mind just saying a little bit about yourself? Hello, um, good to see you, Andrew. I'm Joanne Roney. I'm the Chief Executive of Manchester City Council, which was the role I took in 2017, having moved from being the Chief Executive of Wakefield before that, I was Deputy Chief Executive in Sheffield. Before that, I go back to um, Yorkshire and then Birmingham. But I guess the bit that marks me out is that I started my career in local government as a 16-year-old apprentice. Great, thank you. In your current role as Chief Executive in the City of Manchester, you've obviously played a key role in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic and all of its complexities. What has that been like? What's it been like? Um, Relentless, intense. I I mean, I would have said at the start, fairly all-consuming, but um, I would say now we're probably, well, now it's running business as usual in a different way, alongside recovery planning, alongside still dealing with the response. So, yeah, it's 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 been it's been a tough year last year, but as all years, kind of Manchester is just the most phenomenal city, yeah. and uh, our response um, has been brilliant. But uh, yeah, tiring and relentless, yeah. and deeply worrying at many levels too. 
And, and do you feel like you moved through phases? So there was obviously an immediate response. And do you feel that you're now into a different phase that's more about recovery or how would you describe it? No, I, I, it, it's it's not like any emergency planning scenario that um, I've done previously because we are still dealing with the response. We are still in a emergency situation you know i've still got people dying i've got hospitals that are at critical stages of space i've still got uh, huge uh, programs to run out vaccination on testing so you know we're still very much in response but we're also as always looking looking at the future and thinking how are we going to recover from these implications and yeah, one of the first things we did way back in March 20, when this pandemic first hit, as a council, um, we reorganised in terms of our emergency senior management leadership arrangements, politically and officer-wise. And we said there's going to be three strands, really, to what we'll do and, and how we'll organise ourselves. Um, the first one is clearly COVID emergency decisions, speed at response and empowering the people who needed to leave that. The second strand was communities and our people. And so what were we going to do by way of emergency response and support for shielded and food parcels and all of that? But that's carried through. Um, the third strand was impact on the council and uh, economic recovery. So we kind of knew back in March 2020 that this wasn't going to be just an emergency that was going to end this was a pandemic and it was going to be all-encompassing and complicated and have long-reaching consequences. So, you know, and, and that was back in March 20, and we've still run those kind of three strands of yeah. uh, business, really. So we make um, strategic decisions right back there, and I guess that's guided us. Yeah. Um, and what about your staff team? The pressure on them must be immense, and I'm sure... Back in March last year, you didn't think it would go on. Well, at least I didn't think it would go on this long. But um, so the pressure on your staff team must be immense. Yes, um, I think the pressure on our communities has been immense. The pressure on our colleagues in health in particular has been immense. But yeah, my staff team too. And uh, I think somebody told me um, this week that they'd worked out that Manchester is a city between March of last year and March of this year, were predicted to have had 25 days with no restrictions placed on them. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of got, that's got far-reaching consequences, hasn't it? And so, yes, uh, relentless and tiring were my opening words. And I think I should have added to that a, a, a concern around mental health of, yeah. uh, and long-term effects on being in that highly stressful environment for quite a long period of time for a number of uh, staff it is a concern for me but I've also got to turn it around and say as always you know a fantastic team and this and this council and this city when faced with adversity responds like no others so uh, for all the uh, complexity and the difficulty and the the, the, the long hours and the, the the constant responding pressure I also think I've had some of the, probably the best networks and the best camaraderie and, um, you know, some, some of the best teamwork and response of the, the city than I've ever seen, really. It's been phenomenal. And that camaraderie, is that 
mostly within the council, or does that stretch across to to other partners who've had to play a role in the crisis response? Um, it, it plays across, and I think that that's come through um, a long legacy in Manchester of working across sectors in partnership, and also having very strong roots to community. So, so it felt like the whole city has responded to yeah. support one another and to reach into communities, reach across sectors. I mean, you know, I kind of look back and remember now at the very first few weeks where um, where PPE, getting your hands on PPE. I mean, we had businesses stepping up straight up to say, we can get you supplies, we can deal with this, we can, we can support you. I, I think about the hundreds of people who have volunteered in various disguises. Um, it, 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 there's too many to mention, but also that just that personal, that personal reach out, that personal support. And I guess working with us, working with us all along, you know, I don't think there's a place anywhere that could have got through the pandemic in isolation if it hasn't had that strong. If they didn't have it before, they will have it now. But yeah. I'm lucky that because of all the foundations that we've got in Manchester, uh, the work we've done through devolution, through public sector reform, um, through economic growth, all of those foundations um, were just there and clicked in for us. It was brilliant. Great. Um, and I wonder if I could just ask you particularly about the NHS and the relationship between the council and the NHS and, and how that's worked. Because I know in a lot of places around the country, uh, the, the pandemic seems to have really tightened that relationship and changed it for good? Yes. So, again, maybe different from some other places. Um, Through the Greater Manchester Devolution Deal, we already had some quite advanced partnership arrangements with uh, health colleagues. So that right down to integrated locality-based teams, um, co-located staff working together, um, with wider determinants of health being at the forefront of what those locality teams worked on. So when I say health, I mean GPs, local GPs, with wraparound support to them, reaching out to communities. So, so we had community-based integrated teams. We had integrated joint commissioning arrangements. And we have uh, joint arrangements at Greater Manchester with our major NHS providers, also at the forefront of setting future strategies. So those mechanisms were in place. And I think that did mean um, not just that we know each other well enough to pick up the phone and to ask for support and to help each other, but it, that goes that permeates through every part of GM right down to individual GPs. So the ability to respond the speed at which we were able to come together and say what we needed to do was was already built in. It was built yeah. into systems here. So, um, yeah, it, it, very, very integrated. What do those co-located, integrated, community-based teams, what does that actually look like if you're, if, okay. if you're a user of the service? Like what, what would you expect to see? Yeah, so we have based uh, in each locality on a cohort of around uh, 20,000 to 40,000 people based around the GP practices. You will have integrated health and social care teams. So you would have, you know, your one stop shop almost through access through a GP for um, not just 
treating people who were ill, but to reach out into those communities to, uh, to for those wider determinants of health and doing an awful lot of work around prevention and support. I think the other thing is that through those local teams, there's a degree of local commissioning done, particularly around voluntary and community organisations. So that, that there's a big reach into communities themselves, taking greater responsibility for their own health and well-being. Um, so, so that's the first thing. But that's the health and social care arrangements. But then we have a thing called bringing services together, which is to say uh, around those health and social care teams, we also need to think about how we bring together professionals from housing, for example. Um, what can we do around uh, other community assets that are in the organisation, be that the church or be that uh, community groups? Or what can we do around highways, transport, parks, open spaces? How do we start to bring wider services together? So, um, you know, there's regular weekly huddles. We talk about the issues that are there. Police will say that we get repeat call outs to this particular address. Ambulance would say we get repeat call outs. We go in there jointly to say what is what what is the issues that a, a person or a community um, is seeing and how do we work with them to try yeah. and address some of those issues so that's I, what it kind of feels like that yeah no I, I think that's fantastic and I think the idea of the huddles bringing uh, professionals at a very local level together is is really good because you can have cases where where things fall through the cracks where something doesn't quite meet a threshold for one particular service but when everybody gets together they can use common sense in a more in a more useful way absolutely let's um i mean look there are really complicated systems and organizational barriers that are, are in place but in place for good reason our job through public sector reform is to try and get through all of that exactly as you've said let's just get the people who know that place in in minutiae of detail together to talk about what needs to happen to make this a stronger, healthier community. And even better, let's ask the people who live there themselves what they think is the issue for them. Uh, You know, so I think it's probably the most exciting part of the job, actually, that to say this is about really championing frontline empowerment and community empowerment. To, to, to solve issues. So what would you say to areas who maybe think that investing in changing the system to make it more around prevention, that they just can't get their heads around that because current demand is so high that all of the resources just have to be have to be on firefighting? How do you create space in an organization to make the change to do the prevention work that eventually eases the pressure? I think it starts with recognising that you do need to create space. You need to understand that your demand pressures um, need to be addressed by starting early on prevention work. So most councils, I think, are concerned about their financial position at the moment and recognising that if you're in crisis, you end up spending more. Whereas if you can take that time out and rethink your organisation and rethink how you're going to support community, do prevention work, then over a period of time you do start to get the benefits from that. As I say, Manchester, Grace Manchester was at the forefront of this with the devolution ask. Yeah. Um, and so we have got kind of a head start maybe than some places. 
but it's it's very much in the DNA. We call it our Manchester yeah. here, and it's it's very much um, all services, all council, all partners, all city, recognising that our focus is to build on community assets, work with communities, strengthen the power of individuals, and to try to take high pressure demand out of our system by getting in there early to support individuals and families. So let me ask you a little bit about Greater Manchester and what it was like working as part of that and with the mayor of Greater Manchester as well, because I think some areas and some councils around the country have felt a little bit isolated through this. And obviously Manchester has that longer history of working as a group of 10 authorities. What's that been like? Um, so, yeah, it's great. I mean, I think it's brilliant. And you're right, Manchester's had um, a, a long time, 10 years plus of working as a region, as a 10 local authorities, recognising that the importance of connectivity between the city and other areas and investing in that connectivity. So the tram system as one example. So recognising the economic strength by working together and improving connectivity is key but also the point that we were just talking about about recognizing the other side of economic growth is making sure that people benefit from that growth and that's about the public sector reform agenda so working on skills taking devolved responsibility for skills to make sure that we match skill opportunities to local residents Then we started to build on health devolution that would say, actually, a number of our population still have ill health issues. Let's try and address those, but link it to skills, link it to employment. So we have a a working well project. So all of that uh, economic growth plus reform plus making sure we really reach out to our communities and um, bring those benefits to them is at the core of Greater Manchester. And of course, Andy coming in as mayor, well, this is so dear to Andy's heart. Andy completely amplifies that work. And, you know, I, I, I lead on skills and, and uh, young people. We've just introduced the young person's guarantee. So, so Andy's great to work with because he's, he, he, he's absolutely on this kind of agenda, really, of saying, yeah. what are we doing to make a difference for the people in Greater Manchester? That's his DNA, and it, it's good to have him there saying that. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure your thoughts and actions are increasingly turning to recovery from the pandemic. So what would you say your priorities are? So um, in terms of our economic recovery, we were making such progress in so many ways, particularly around addressing inequality. And, you know, schools have been brilliant and, you know, we closed the gap on unemployment. So Working through now, kind of what's the impact of COVID going to be? We've done two things, really. Firstly, we started with our economic recovery plan, which was business led. We asked businesses to identify what they wanted to see in the economic recovery. Um, And as you would expect, there's um, some short term and some long term strategy, some sort of delivery points in there. Some of it's around zero carbon. Yeah. What kind of places are we going to have in the future? We we know the future of work has changed. So what does that mean for public realm? What does it mean for transport? What does it mean for the city centre? So uh, a, re, a, a rethink about both zero carbon and our design of place. But 
we also know construction and is, is still doing well and commercial interest in Manchester is doing well. So um, that's good. We want to carry on with our proposals around growth and residential growth in particular. We know we've got more to do around digital skills and particularly digital exclusion. Yeah, so big yeah. investments, big, uh, launching the new strategy next week on um, digital, uh, there being a digital smart city and what does that actually mean for the people who live here and how will we target resources uh, on digital. Uh, and then the other piece of work we did in parallel to the economic asks was a refresh of what's called the Our Manchester strategy. This is a huge public consultation to ask the residents of Manchester what matters to them. Um, how has COVID kind of change their sense of priority and what kind of city do they want to be living in. And we've just refreshed that. And there were some changes, interestingly, from the consultation that we did. Great, um, a lot of commonality in terms of the challenge and what people wanted to see. And interestingly, young people were the priority, a real recognition across the city that we have a challenge moving forward to do more for our young people. Yeah. A big challenge on health and that wider living well and the mental health challenge that people have suffered. So health has uh, gone up as a priority. Um, but as you would also, uh, as I've mentioned, really housing a priority, uh, zero carbon, absolutely uh, up there still as wanting to see more about that, making use of green space, blue space. Um, be mindful of housing retrofit and the types of buildings that we're producing. And then infrastructure was up there. That's digital infrastructure, public transport, um, thinking differently about electric cars, electric futures, um, pedestrian free zones. So some, yeah. some pretty bold, ambitious thinking around infrastructure as well. So economic growth, short term and long term, but more importantly for me, a long term strategy that the whole city stands behind. Yeah. Which is the uh, Manchester strategy. So, yeah, been good. Well, thank you been for that. To do both of those pieces of work, actually, it's been yeah. very uplifting. I know that's a really positive story. Um, so, just to give people an understanding of the relationship between the city of Manchester and Greater Manchester, how, how much of the of your priorities are driven by that collective effort, and how much are very specific? to uh, the city of Manchester, and I know that that's a very open question, but just to, to give people an idea of how it works. Well, well, well Greater Manchester isn't a supreme body. You know, we are still independent local authorities. So the strategy that I've outlined is Manchester's strategy. Um, I guess the guiding principle for Greater Manchester is the agreement as leaders and as chief executives we come together and we do some things at a Greater Manchester level where it makes sense for things to be done at a Greater Manchester level. Um, but we have still we still have autonomy back in our individual places. So the things that we do at a Greater Manchester level would be transport, for example, where yeah. it, would make, it makes much more sense for those large infrastructure projects such as reconfiguring Piccadilly Station, high speed rail, um, the tram network, the extensions, those things are done at, at Greater Manchester level. Other things are devolved to Greater Manchester and then passed on to localities, right. with Greater Manchester kind of keeping a, a kind of overview in terms of the outcomes we want to see as a whole. But but there's no powers up to GM. All of the powers are down to individual local authorities. Oh, understood. And you, you, you mentioned earlier that you were the skills lead, and I know I've heard... Um, Andy Burnham 
pressing the case for increased devolution of skills budgets and and policies is that something that's on the cards do you think well yes it is and we've got um uh, you know we have adult education skills budget devolved greater manchester so we have about 90 million um what happens then is across greater manchester we would collect the the data of the challenge about what happens in individual localities and then we would passport some of the money down to individual places to put in the local arrangements but at Greater Manchester we kind of keep an overview on outcomes that are being achieved um, and, and how much of that money is being used to tackle the things that we know uh, exist. Uh, the ask for more was about saying look actually we think we'd like greater uh, control over or influence over higher education and further education and I think the right. HA white paper that's come out pretty much gives a platform for some of that to be devolved down locally so um, we've also asked for more uh, more influence over kind of how we can move money between different funding schemes this skills funding is still a little patchy you know there's different schemes like kickstart restart you know different yeah. initiatives that come out of government that really we were saying um we could do more if we had greater flexibility locally to devise the skills pathways that we need uh, and as i said as young people is a priority particularly a priority for andy uh, an example would be um national program kickstart is for a six-month placement that's not good enough for us in greater manchester so what andy's wanting us to devise is a Greater Manchester version of Kickstart that says, OK, nationally, we'll comply with your six month Kickstart programme, but we're going to add on to that a guarantee of a placement, a guarantee of further education and skills access. You know, we we want to go a little bit further sometimes yeah. than local, the, the national schemes allow. And, and that's the flexibility that we push for at Greater Manchester. Yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not hard to see an increasing uh, tension between central government initiatives and the devolution agenda and areas wanting to, to do things very focused on their own area. A, a, an example coming up is the levelling up fund and that's something which government is making available to areas to to bid for and I, I know, you know different leaders in different parts of the country ha have already commented on it but just how, how would you see Manchester fitting into the levelling up agenda or making use of it or engaging with it? Um, we definitely need it. My my view is that I think what's valued about competitive funding is the, is the view that it kind of raises ambition, that it, um, it brings an element of uh, competition, brings a bit of element of challenge to it, and, uh, you know, somehow that results in better quality outcomes. I'm not a fan of it in the current climate. I think given where we are with COVID and devastated economies, I I would have thought the cost of going through a bidding regime is, is yeah. money that's wasted. So my personal view is government should rethink making it a competitive bidding process. However, if they don't, um, we will bid for Manchester we, we already have a very, we have a pipeline. We know what we're doing. We've already got all the things I've talked about in terms of clarity of purpose, strategy, business support, arrangements to deliver behind us. Um, I think we also say that look, investment in Manchester is for the benefit of Greater Manchester in the same way that we would support Stockport's mayoral development corporation to do well for Stockport. You know, 
we yeah. are about creating jobs and opportunity across Greater Manchester. And I'd rather it was a, a recognised ambition of UK PLC to invest in the north in order for the whole of the UK to prosper than maybe have to go through a, a competition for those resources. Well, understood. Well, at the time of us recording here, the, the exact details of how you apply for levelling up funding haven't been released yet, but uh, we, we will watch that closely. Um, so we've talked about the COVID-19 crisis, and I want to, to ask you about a very different crisis now. So you were only a month into your time as the chief executive when the Manchester Arena bombing occurred in May uh, 2017. Not only were you new to the job, but you were also new to Manchester. Can you say a little bit about what that was like? Um, yes, it's a, well, it's a moment that's probably imprinted on my heart for life, yeah. really. Obviously, it was the worst of times for the city. Um, but as a new chief executive, I think I saw the best of the city, the best of the council, the best of the people that I worked with that, that I could ever imagine, really, that just the way we responded, the, 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 the way we came together, the way every single person in my, in my leadership team and the, the council as a whole um, were just there to do what was right on the night was phenomenal, as were all of the partners. So um, I, there's so many things to take away from that experience. The one that stands out for me on, uh, in the moment, in the thick of the moment, was us all being really clear that what the objective was here. Yeah. And um, I can't recall who said it, but somebody said there's only one test for us, and that is to say, at least to find ourselves standing on the steps of the town hall tomorrow to say we did our very best for everyone affected and that was just the guiding principle. So it was just do what we needed to do and do the very best we could. And I remember opening up the Etihad for the respite centre and staff going down there and me going down there and families were turning up looking for their children and getting some were getting phone calls. Some were some turned up with no phone because they'd forgotten the phone in the panic. They didn't have any phone chargers. They didn't have any food. You know, we were just there for them and right through to the vigil. The following day where we had um, Tony do his poem, which I just thought was the defining moment of everything we stood for as a city. So, yeah, that was, I don't know, 36 hours of no sleeping. But um, emotionally, I'll probably never, ever. Well, I hope I never experienced anything like it and I'll never forget it. And it's my absolute privilege to to be involved in the charity. There's, there was 27 million, I think, raised at one point um, through the concert and everything, and to, to to deal with the distribution of that funding to the people who were so badly affected, uh, right through to now building the uh, memorial. It, it's yeah. just been a huge part of me. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that this was an incredible team effort to respond to it in the moment. But your role in supporting the city to recover from it has continued and is still ongoing. What sort of things have you been doing in in your role as the chief executive of the council since to help the city recover? Well, I think 
I think that it started with the vigil and the bringing people together. And then, of course, we do an annual uh, event. I think staying in touch with the families. I mean, this is they're going through uh, an inquiry now. And to say it's painful and difficult for them is to completely underestimate how devastating it is. So we've stayed in touch with families. Um, we've engaged families as, as much as we can in the current situation with the design of the memorial and working with them to shape what that permanent memorial looks like and to ensure that it's fitting. And, you know, we said right at the start that um, we'd never forget them. And, and I think it's my job to ensure that they know that from me and constantly and I'm there for them and speak to them and see them and we'll stand by that promise we made to do the very best we can. So I just want to say something about all the injured as well, because, you right. know, clearly, quite rightly, there's a focus on obviously those families of the, the, the people who lost their lives. But there were hundreds and hundreds of people injured that night and a lot of people um, emotionally devastated from being there. And one of the great things about the charity was I think we were one of the first emergency charities that ever made payments to people to go and get support for mental health issues or emotional issues and I was very proud of that very proud that we took the decision to do that not me but the charitable trust that I was on took the decision to do that I think it was brave of us at the time Um, uh, and to see a number of young people through the support we gave them um, form the the choir that they've set up to have their net work that they've created to go on and create support groups from themselves has been great and the other thing we did was we commissioned um, a sports injury uh, centre that's near to the Etihad club it's um, an elite um, facility for athletes to train muscular difficulties with athletes and we commissioned yeah. them to work with people who had got the most severe injuries and I remember a year after the incident watching the video of people who were so badly injured through um, the, the, the shrapnel and the, the, the bomb that they didn't think they'd walk again. And to see them get this intensive support through these internationally renowned experts, to see them walking and running and recovering, uh, I think there's a video online and it's just the most beautiful thing to see. So I just want to say that, you know, the, the, the way in which we supported families affected, but also the injured, it's ongoing, it's there. Um, it was a very real commitment given from the city to never forget and to always do the best by those people. And I think we live it uh, all the time. Really appreciate you sharing those thoughts with, with us, Joanne. Just to move uh, on to uh, something more more positive. In February last year, Manchester City Council made it into the Sunday Times top 100 organisations to work for. And that's that's an incredible achievement. Um, yeah. how, how did that come about and how did you manage to 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 drive that? Well, I, I guess we started, I think the, the, the first ambition started before me, which was it, it comes from doing a, the Be Heard survey with staff. And I think I think it would be true to say that um, despite having loads of great, brilliant things going on in Manchester, there was also a bit of a feeling that maybe we'd 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 not paid attention to the basics in all services. And 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 when I came in as a chief executive, I, I had a clear mandate to kind of reset the basics so that we were providing good services across 
the piece. It, it, for me, it's not it, as, as a leader of the council, as a chief executive. I think one of my first messages was, you know, I want all aspects of service that we deliver to be of good quality. I know it's tough, budget reductions, uh, constant pressure in some teams, but we needed to be good on all services. So just with the senior management team, really focusing on getting back to some of those basics, getting the organisation aligned more effectively so that all parts of it were successful. Um, Children's services were in intervention. They were failing. Economic growth was doing brilliantly. We have to align that. We have to be consistent. We also were, I would have said, we probably needed to do more on digital um, to improve our, our kind of customer experience and be more agile as a workforce and we we had a challenge around talent development internally um, we still have a, a challenge on addressing some inequalities I would like the, the, the whole council to kind of reflect its community a little better in across all services it's good in parts not so good in others so basically we embarked upon a whole council senior management team reshape about saying look we're going to ask you, we're going to open up genuine conversations with staff. I do lots of uh, listening in action with staff, so does the leader of the council. Very genuine, very open questions to say, what what can we do better around here? How can we be the best council that we want to be to deliver the best results? And we've worked at it for, um, for three years, uh, very genuinely, very openly, and it's all independently assessed. Yeah. And um, we were just thrilled to have yeah. got into the, the, the top 100 companies. And, um, yeah, that was a great, great result for everybody in, involved, really, and a real testament, I think, to the journey that the, the staff have been on in the council as well. Through tough, yeah, times, through tough times, but, you know. Yeah, really tough times, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's really important to, to acknowledge this for a public sector organisation because it's not based – you know, getting onto this top 100 organisations to work for list is not something that they just take <laughs> your, no. your word for it or somebody else. You know, they actually engage with the staff and the staff have to have to make the case themselves yeah. and, and, you know, support it. So it's, it's a real achievement, particularly at a time when everybody knows that across the public sector, budgets are really tight and to create a positive place to work in those circumstances is really something. Um, how would you describe the culture, if you were to summarise it, within the council? So, um, like I said, you know, it's got the best of response in terms of crisis and very flexible work and the pride and the passion that staff feel for the city is unparalleled, unparalleled to anywhere I've worked. Um, uh, so in many ways, it's it's a brilliant culture. I think what I was just saying there, there was is a little uneven in parts. And so what we what I wanted to do was we've got the our Manchester strategy. We have our Manchester values. The job of a leader is to take that vision and to sell it and to make it real for people. So people can yeah. feel that no matter where they are in the organization, that they really feel like they see those values in action. They believe the leadership when they're talking about our Manchester and the principles and the values and the behaviours. They're empowered. They feel it. And it doesn't matter where you are in the council that you feel it. 
It's not yeah. okay to have one bit of the council thinking it's great, but another bit of the council thinking, hang on, I'm drowning here and nobody listens to me. So so a, the, the real push was, as I say, I, the vision was set in terms of our Manchester. My yeah. job was to galvanise the senior team collectively and all of us go out there and sell that vision and make it real to staff and yeah. You know, my career pathway is such that I've, I've never lost touch with what it's like on the front line. And that's what it's all about. It's that's yeah. all about making sure that what we say at the top is based on what we hear from the front line. Yeah, I, th- I think just listening to what you're saying there, you've got a real advantage in Manchester because Manchester is a very recognisable place with a history, whereas some councils, even some in the wider greater Manchester area are more constructed and not with a deep history of, you know, they're maybe constructed of a number of towns which have their own identity, whereas Manchester is very much a place in itself. Yeah, I understand that. Before I came to Manchester, I was the chief executive of Wakefield and Wakefield was made up of um, very distinct towns, Pontefract, Wakefield, um, Castleford, you know, um, with with rival rugby clubs. So, yes. I, so, uh, but I but I still think that job of a chief executive to create the narrative of the place, even if it's the connectivity point between the different towns, um, and then being able to galvanise the whole council behind delivery in those places, is the core job really. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be one size fits all. I mean. What, what I've always said is what works in one part of Manchester doesn't necessarily work in another part of Manchester. So um, so long as there's a, a, an approach that says we're going to work this through locality and community based, then you have flexibility. There are some things that are citywide. Yeah. There are other things where the services are flexed. Um, there are some parts of Manchester where there's incredibly active, vibrant community resource Frankly, let's empower them to do stuff and use our resources to those areas that we need to build that kind of community resource. So um, I I think the principles of what are you trying to achieve always start with what are we trying to achieve here? What's the test of what we're trying to do? And then how does it feel for the people who live here, the people on the front line who are delivering services? Listen to them, really genuinely listening to their experience, and then you change things, don't you? Yeah. Change yeah. things, but you keep you keep your overall vision, and you empower the front line, and you empower the localities. Absolutely, um, Joanne. As a final question, what bit of advice would you give to someone working in the public sector or in a charity or a social enterprise delivering public services who wants to make an impact in the way that you have managed to? Um, oh gosh, what would I say? Um, there are some things that come through to me, no matter where I've worked, that I think no matter where anybody works, if you, if you start with a, a very real sense of looking for strengths, looking for strengths and the people around you and look at the strengths of the places that you've got and then you build on those strengths. So start by looking at what's already there that you can build on rather than ever thinking, you, you have to come in and change everything. Yeah. I think the second bit is networks. It's all about networks. It's about building your own resilience networks. It's about building trust, um, but also trusting other other networks that exist to do things. So, as I've said, 
you know, the, the power of the partnerships and the networks in Manchester. I was lucky that they already existed for me and um, they're so important. So build your networks. Uh, and as I've said, kind of that single vision, that purpose, that sense of absolute clarity about what you're trying to do. And the, the world is very complicated. And I think as we come out of COVID, life's going to be so different for people and there'll be lots of things to rethink and to reset. So keep your vision. Be, yeah. be clear what it is you're going to do and keep your vision. And um, I think the best advice I was ever given, really, about what success and that success is about a good team with good outcomes and uh, it's not about egos. So yes, it doesn't absolutely. matter if you're the chief executive. It doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's about what you what you galvanise from others and what you develop in terms of the talent around you for, for the outcomes, for the success of us all, really. Great. I think that's a really good point to leave our conversation at. So, Joanne, many thanks for your time. You're welcome. I must say I learned a lot from that conversation. Um, it's really clear that the Greater Manchester Devolution Deal has put public services and the 10 councils that are involved on a really solid footing. And what was very interesting was Joanne explaining how powers have actually passed down to the councils from Greater Manchester rather than anything being passed upwards. And all of this has meant that Manchester has had the mechanisms in place for a rapid and joined up response to the COVID-19 crisis. Joanne talked about how local services are organised in huddles where you have professionals from different disciplines all sat around the same table. This is an approach which is being ad adopted in quite a few areas across the country, including in other councils in the Greater Manchester area. And it's a very sensible way of ensuring that public services are not isolated in their own silos and that common sense prevails. I think there will also be some useful advice for leaders in local areas who are looking to put prevention strategies in place and how you actually make the case for that and create the space to do that. And finally, I was hugely grateful to Joanne for being willing to talk a little about the Manchester Arena bombing. It's clearly had a, a huge impact on her as a person and as a professional. And I think Manchester as a city can be incredibly proud of the way it responded. So that's everything for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please remember to register on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to never miss a future episode.